You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. We want to welcome you to Kingsway this morning. Everybody watching online live right now, welcome to Kingsway. Anybody watching later this week, welcome to Kingsway. We're glad you're here with us. So we're in this series called No Boundaries, and today we're talking specifically about money. And see, last week, everybody was glad they came. Now everybody's like, oh, really? But here's the thing. We're not talking about what you normally would think we're talking about. Because when I say church and money, most of you think all they're going to do is ask for my money. Did you know that the Bible actually talks a lot about money and has absolutely nothing to do with asking you for money? In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but some estimate that Jesus talked about money 2,000 times more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. In fact, some estimate it was roughly 40% of his illustrations were either about money or used money as the story analogy to make his point. The whole point is the Bible has actually a lot to say about money, and I want to share some of the other wisdom with you today. But first, I'm going to need your help. I need you to think of this maybe like a game show or maybe like you're watching Ellen. Not that you're going to confess that you ever watched Ellen, but whatever. Um, I'm going to, by applause, I'm going to start blowing up this balloon. When you believe it's time for me to stop, I want you to yell stop. When a lot of you have yelled, it feels like the collective whole says stop, we'll stop. Okay, so if one person yells stop, like in last service, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to wait for a lot of you to yell stop. It's like, you know, the, the price is right, all right? Except for you're not yelling at a price, you're yelling stop. You got it? Here we go. You ready? <clears throat> I want you to yell stop when you believe that it has the right amount of air in it and it's not going to pop. before it pops. Are we clear? (laughs) Higher, 900. Okay. How many of you say stop? No, 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 come on. Got to do like a round of applause or something, right? How many of you say stop? How many of you say, no, 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 no. it can go more. Keep going. Keep going. That was a lot of stops. All right. How many of you say stop? How many of you say keep going? Definitely are full of Americans in here. I don't know if I get any more air of this. Same problem last service. Here we go. One more time. How many of you say stop? How many of you say keep going? How many of you just want to see me pop the balloon? Last service did the same thing. And all I can say is that wasn't in my planning. I didn't expect you to work against me. But you said keep going, so here we go. You ready? All right. The goal is not to let it pop. See how far we can go before it pops. You ready? Maybe. Any, uh, any clarinet players or anything in here? I think we've got some spit in there. You see that? All right. How many of you say we're there? How many of you say keep going? All right. You finally lose. I keep going. 
your kids are the ones in our youth ministry program that are... <laughs> See, this is how most of us live our lives as it relates to money, isn't it? No, 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 come on. We can keep going, honey. We can squeeze just a little bit more out of that thing, right? This is why most of us are stressed when it comes to money. This is why money, after all these years of pastors saying this, me included, is still the number one cause of divorce in America. Because what we do is we push our budget and we push our expenses and we push our money to the absolute brink because we feel cheated that somehow if we have less, then we weren't getting everything we need out of life, don't we? Did you know this? That Solomon was the wisest man ever to live apart from Jesus. And Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. The wise store up choice food, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, many Proverbs are written in a way that's kind of a comparison, this or this. There's some pieces that you need to know. Number one, a wise person scripturally is a person who loves God. So the Bible says consistently, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're actually gonna talk about that coming this, later this fall, October, November. But what I wanna do is give you a little nugget. Anytime you see the word wisdom in scripture, it's celebrated because it's a person who recognizes there is a creator and he is in charge. So if I'm wise, I'm going to seek out what he wants me to do with this life because he knows more than I do about life. So wisdom says, what would God have me do? But the opposite of wise is the fool. Now, there are other categories in Proverbs that aren't for today's message, but these are the two extremes. So if you aren't wise, you may be somebody who's somewhere in the middle, but there is the fool. And the fool is the person who is actually opposed to God. They will not receive wisdom. They will not receive God's ways for life. So they push their life past the boundaries that God has in place for it. Now, what's interesting, so we got that piece settled, is it's really easy to get it from there. So the wise store up choice food and olive oil. In other words, a wise person realizes that if all I do is spend every dime I get, I got a problem. The wise person knows that one day I may need or simply just want more. And so if every dime is committed and going out, then I got a problem. So if I gulp down everything that I have, I'll never have what I want later. Do you get the principle? That has nothing to do necessarily with generosity. It simply has to do with the fact that a wise person saves, a fool spends it all. But see, we don't live our lives that way very well. We tend to think, no, 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 I can squeeze just a little bit more out of this bad boy. And so this is what we do when it relates to our budgets and our money. And this is why most of you feel stressed. Because you know what happens when you're in this place? You probably can't see that. You see that? If I put it against my dark shirt, maybe. Thank you. I'm glad you could see it. All it takes is the smallest little thing. And we're in trouble. Maybe it's a car accident. The water heater busts. The furnace goes out. The pipes upstairs busted and froze in the winter. Somebody got sick and went to the hospital. We wanted to go on vacation, but when we got down there, the car was in a wreck and we didn't buy the insurance. 
And next thing you know, <laughs> what happens? It's too much. You just can't handle it anymore. <laughs> so what else does the Bible tell us? Well, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the very next chapter says this. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Again, Proverbs sometimes takes some interpreting, just like some of Jesus' parables, but this one's not hard to figure out. So essentially, the rich have the resources, and the poor sometimes need them. In ancient times, it wasn't like today. In ancient times, you couldn't simply go down to the bank and apply, and they'd take a look at your income, they'd take a look at your expenses, say, can you afford this or can you not? And many times, just so you know, and, and I mean this as no offense to anybody in the room, because you are probably the exception to the rule. I hope you are. But many bankers and many lenders are not really concerned with you. They're more concerned with getting you the money and getting their return. They want their money back with interest, and that's part of the problem. And so what happens is we keep pushing our limits to their absolute max capacity. And what happens is we find ourselves stressed out all the time because now every dime we make goes right back to the person we borrowed it from. So the question isn't, could we do it? The question sometimes is, did we need to? Of course I could keep blowing this up. I only ask you to tell me, tell me when to stop before it pops. And then I'd simply ask the question, could I get more in there? Could I get more in there? And some of you are like, yes! It's a challenge! Meet the challenge! You know, I really could have stopped way back here, and it was safe. Back when some of you yelled stop, because some of you were the savers in the room, right? <laughs> could have stopped way back here. Of course, I set up the game in such a way that you felt like it was a challenge to squeeze every ounce into it. But see, that's how life is. Every message that comes at you in daily life says, get more, do more, experience more, have more. And in fact, the problem is, if you don't, you're not getting all you can out of life. And so we feel cheated and slighted and like we're missing out at every turn. When the reality is most of what we're doing is we're just making ourselves into slaves so that we get up and we work hard Monday through Friday, sometimes at night, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes on the weekends, just trying to catch back up. This is why Solomon goes on in the very next chapter, Proverbs 23, verse 4. He says this, do not wear yourself out to get rich and do not trust your own cleverness Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You're like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, it's really not hard. Again, if you just think for one minute, it's called a proverb. It's a statement of wisdom. You think about it for a second. Cast only but a glance at riches. If, if you read the whole proverb, there's actually a story going on here, and I didn't have time to go into the whole story. But in other words, don't look too long at, at wealth that somebody else has. Because if you look too long, you know what's going to happen? You're going to want it. You're going to desire it. So just look at it quickly and then look away. Because if you start to gaze upon somebody else's riches, on something somebody else has, you're going to start to want it. And when that want takes root in your heart, it's going to take over. But you need to know this, riches don't last long. They literally sprout wings and fly away, okay? Not literally. I've never seen money turn into eagles and fly off, 
But what it means is it doesn't last long. Things burn to the ground, business change, community changes, other companies rise up, 401ks, you get some guy who's greedy, who's cheating everybody, and next thing you know, it collapses, the interest rates go up, the market collapses, banks go under, thieves steal it, things happen, and what you thought you once had, they give you all that sense of security and safety, it will be gone. So if you don't have, and you look at it for too long, your heart will start to change. Once your heart changes, everything changes. Because then you start to live your life for the thing, for the dollar, for the shoes, for the purse, for the thing. There's actually a Bible word. If you were grow, grown up, if you were raised in the church, when you were growing up, then uh, there was a word we use. It's kind of a King James word. It may not mean much today, but the word is covet. How many of you have heard the word covet before? Oh, look, see, a lot of you have heard it. The word covet literally means just to desire something in your heart, but to the point where it literally turns into sin. So it's not a matter of seeing it and saying, oh, that'd be cool if... Like I feel every time I look at LeBron James, I'm going, he's got to be thinking it'd be cool if he could be as tall as me and as athletic as me. But when I look at Le- those LeBron James, the real way is I look at him and go, man, wouldn't that be cool if? Now, if I look too long, I could start to get jealous of guys like that who are tall and, 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 and slender and fast. They could jump high and are, and are, I'm just not that guy. I'm short and I'm stocky. That was the, the gift God gave me. If I look too long, is somebody else's car like the car that I want? If I look too long at somebody else's house, like the house I want, if I look too long, you fill in the blank. You think about those last five or so, 10 commandments, they all have to do with coveting. Not looking at somebody else's possessions, and so you steal. Not looking at somebody else's spouse, and so you take. Not looking at somebody else's fill in the blank. See, what coveting is, is coveting is a heart problem. It's not a resource problem, it's a heart problem. This is why Solomon actually writes in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, he actually says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, meh, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, what's he saying? What's he saying is this, see, God, if I am really rich, then I'm going to have so many resources, I'm going to be tempted to think, I don't need you. I got here on my own. I worked really hard. In fact, not only that, I literally don't need God to survive. If I've got a health problem, I'll pay a doctor to fix it. If I've got a construction problem, I'll pay them to fix it. No matter what the issue is, God, I'll pay somebody else to take care of it. So I won't have to get on my knees and seek the Lord. I'll just have an abundance But the other extreme of that, the other extreme of that is, God, but don't give me poverty either. Because if I don't have enough food to eat and if I don't have enough resources for my family, then I'm gonna be tempted to covet all the time and long for what everybody has. See, this is the whole point of the extremes problem. On the extremes, I can easily look at something or someone else and it messes with my heart. But we know this, it's not just an extremes issue, it's a me issue, it's a heart issue. Because coveting affects all of us. Now think about it for a minute. Isn't this why most of you are stressed out in your homes? There's a money problem. And the problem is the problem, I should say, that you don't have enough money. Some of you are like, yes, pastor, that's the problem. Well, there was a study that was done, took like everybody across the board, started like, I can't remember the specifics now, $25,000, $30,000, they went to 50, they went to 70, they went to 100, went to $150,000, and said, if you had more money, how much more would you need to feel like you could be happy or satisfied? And across the board, they all said it was about 5 to 10% more. 
across the board. So it didn't matter if you made 100,000 or 150,000, it didn't matter if you made 30,000. If I just had like 10% more than what I have right now, that would be enough to make me happy. Is it a money problem? It's a heart problem. Our problem is we don't fully know what's that amount that is enough to give, live, do inside my budget. So we either fall on one of two extremes, typically. We either, I don't know if I can get air in it now, it's all stuck together. We either spend, 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 spend until we're bankrupt, and then, or, <laughs> now I realize this balloon metaphor is kind of confusing because it's going opposite directions, but or some of us are on the extreme other side. Some of you are such extreme tightwads that you make sure there's so much margin. I'm saving up for the future. I'm making sure in retirement. In fact, I wanna retire early. I wanna retire at 45 or 50 or 55 or whatever it is so that I have lots of life left so I can travel the world. Do you know the Bible actually talks about both? The Bible addresses both extremes. I think we could call both extremes on one end grace and on the other end truth. Did you know that Jesus came in both? In fact, John says it this way in John chapter one, verse 17. He says, for the law was given through Moses. If you don't know what that means, basically what John is saying is truth was given through Moses. So the law was truth. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I think this is such a phenomenal verse to understand. As Christians, how are we to handle our money? I think this verse tells us more than we think that it tells us. Let me just put some definitions around what I mean. Number one, if we're gonna talk about truth, for a minute. Truth means that God has entrusted you with his treasure. So as a truth side of our faith, that means it's your job to manage it well. People who lean towards truth <clears throat> will tend to say, we need to save, we need to give it all away because God loves the poor. In fact, I read the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Matt, and I know the blessed are the poor. So we're just gonna give, 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 or we're gonna save, 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 save. See, truth people land on two extremes. And it's as if we're highlighting the poverty over the other. Now, there are dangers in the extremes, which I will talk more about as we go, but nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us God longs for us to be poor. That's not what God wants. In fact, at one point when Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to be more generous, to give more, he's saying to them, it's not that I want you to be poor so they can be rich. It's that while they're going through this famine and experiencing great hardship, I want you, since you have an abundance, to give generously to them to meet their need so that there's a little bit more equality around between the both. And then one day when you're going through a hardship, they will give generously to yours. See, truth people understand, and some of you are this way, that there will be an accounting day. 
If you read Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, we're told that God gives uh, uh, these talents away, and talent is actually money. And then one day, the master shows back up, and he says, what'd you do with what I gave you? Two of the servants are praised because they took the money they were given, and they made more out of it. They went to work, they worked hard, they multiplied. They didn't multiply their debt. They didn't multiply their expenses. They multiplied the money that the master gave them. The one servant who's rebuked and condemned is the one servant who did nothing. He buried his talent in the ground, and he produced nothing with it. And Jesus tells a story, and so truth people go, oh yeah, pastor, pastor, I get it, I get it. This is why I've saved, and this is why I give generously, and this is why I'm what we might call a legalistic, a tightwad. I know good and godly men and women in this church, and they are this way, and their heart is probably mostly in the right place. The problem is, when a person who bends towards truth isn't leaning towards grace, what happens is all of their money is hoarded for some future date, some fear, some anxiety, some making sure that all things are controlled. I've actually said to friends of mine who are this way, I said, it's okay to take your family on a vacation. I know it wasn't in your budget, but it is in your savings account. Reach in, pull it out. Your family knows you, and they will see it as you showing them love. It will be important for them. Truth people, thank you, thank you for seeing your money through the eyes of stewardship and management. But you need a little bit of grace. Grace people, grace means this, God has gifted you with all good things, so you should use and enjoy it. And all the grace people in the room said, amen, thank you, Pastor Matt, for finally saying that to my spouse. (laughs) See, grace people love life. They just think God is good all the time, all the time. So it doesn't matter how much we spend. I can't blow it up anymore. It doesn't matter how much we spend because God is a good God. He's always going to give us. Ten of you know exactly who this is. I'm just trying to work hard, Pastor. I just, you know, why do we need to save for the future? Jesus could come back tomorrow. (laughs) Why would I, in the world, would I want to save it for the future when he might come back today? You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? People who fall on the gray side would quickly lean to things like James chapter one, I think it's verse 17, where it says, every good and perfect gift has come down from our Father of heavenly lights. Everything we have is a gift from the Lord. Let's enjoy life. Now, here's the thing. Since I have often found, and it's not always true, but often found, opposites attract. When you get into a marriage, there's often a truth person and there's often a grace person, and this creates major problems in marriage. Let me just deal with all the scenarios possible. There's three possible scenarios besides singlehood for a minute. That's a fourth scenario. I just want to deal with marriage for just a moment. So, Two truthers in one marriage. What you will end up with, two people who legalistically have a very, very, very clearly defined budget and they will have very little generosity and grace in their marriage. They will legalistically watch every single penny. They will know where it goes. They will know where it's spent. And the problem is, the problem is, their lives won't be marked much by generosity or freedom. Now, let's talk about two gracers in a marriage. You get two grace-filled people in a marriage and they won't necessarily, it's funny, I was joking in the hallway after the last service, they won't necessarily agree on where the dollars ought to be given away or spent. 
One thinks you ought to spend it all on their family. The other thinks they ought to spend it all on people in the community, but they won't agree. So there's a lot of fighting about it, but there won't be any left for the future. They're just spending it all every moment, every day. Life is a party, always. It's a stressful party. The marriage can't sustain it, but it is always a party. Now, that other scenario where we end up with one truth person and one grace person, there's often a lot of bickering and fighting because a truth person says, we can't keep spending money on things we don't need. And the grace person's going, but it's their birthday. They're only gonna be nine once. They're only gonna have their nine year and one month anniversary once. So what's the right answer? How much do we really need to be at the right amount? And is there any wisdom from the scriptures to guide us? I don't know how to tell you exactly what the answer is, but I do have some principles for you. I know this much. I think Randy Alcorn says it really, really well. He says, uh, countless mistakes in marriage, parenting, ministry, and other relationships are failures to balance grace and truth. Sometimes we neglect both. Often we choose one over the other. So if related to my finances, I'm going to live truth, here's the thing I'm going to need. I'm going to need to know where the money is going. Many people who lean towards grace have absolutely no idea where their money is coming from and where it's going. And so it sounds great. See, I can, I can guilt trip as a grace person. I can guilt trip the truth people, right? Well, you just don't care about fill in the blank. Well, I just love people. And it sounds like I'm better than you because I'm making a moral statement. When the reality is grace people, and I'm guilty, okay, I'm a grace person, but grace people, you need some truth in your life. One day we will stand before our father and it's not a message of condemnation, but one day we will stand before him and we will give an account for all that he's given us. And you're saying to yourself, I know, grace people, you're saying to yourself, I was only trying to fill in the blank. But the reality is it takes knowledge. Did you know that Jesus actually says the truth will? It'll do what? Set you free. Free from what? Free from a lot of things. But the reality is a lot of grace people don't want to know the truth because the truth is accountability. The truth is terrifying. If I really knew how much money I was spending on fill in the blank. Now here's the thing. Last service I started giving a list of things and here's what went through my head. As I was saying, maybe it's the spirit, maybe it's me. I know the human heart. If I don't say your thing, you're off the hook, right? If I say shoes, but your issue's purses. If I say purses, but your issue's suits. If I say suits, but your issue's cars. If I say cars, but your issue's sports or beer or houses, you fill in the blank, right? You need to fill in the blank. But if I don't know where the money's going, I only know that I never seem to have enough, then maybe it's time to simply sit down and see where it's going. It's so easy today to plug it into a computer and have it tell me, and I can search by categories, and I can actually know the truth, and then I can sit down and have a very honest, very hard and awkward, honest conversation about all the money my spouse is wasting. <laughs> but see, that's the problem. I think everybody else is the problem. But on the other end of that same spectrum, sometimes we need to loosen up a little bit. 
Sometimes we meet people in need and we can't meet the need, even though we feel the Holy Spirit saying, do something about it. I had people come to me last year, late last year, after our financial series, and they came to me and said, I'm so convicted. And they started giving. And in the next couple weeks, some went through some financial hardships and they couldn't keep giving and it broke their heart because they aren't living with any margin in their budget. So when they meet a need, they literally can't do it. When the Spirit moves them and says, you know what, your kid's going through a really hard time at school right now, you need to throw a big old party and let them know how special they are. They can't afford it. And the only way they can get it done is to go put it on a credit card. And when you do that, you become a slave to the lender. So sometimes we leverage money to change people's perspective, right? Like in the video today, sometimes we leverage resources in order to change somebody's hope. This guy's gonna keep having to work hard. That woman on the screen, she's gonna have to keep having to work hard. Their situations haven't changed. It's just that there's a little bit of relief came that maybe gives them a glimmer of hope, a shining hope, that this, where you are right now, is not the end of the story. There is more of the story to be written. But see, grace people, if all you do is give, 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 or spend, 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 the problem is you don't necessarily have the resources available for the Holy Spirit to shift you and move you in a different direction. Do you see how it takes a both, a balance of grace and truth in our finances? So how do we get that? Well, I think it's one word, one word. And if I could teach you this one word and you start to apply this principle, it'll change everything. Here's the one word. The key, the key to happiness, especially relates to money, is simply this. Contentment. Contentment. Do you know what contentment means? Contentment means it doesn't matter if you get the thing you're coveting or wanting or longing for in your heart. You're happy either way. See, the difference between coveting and just wanting is that. If I get it, great. If I don't get it, great. Either way, I'm good. Man, I really would like that car. If I don't get it, I'm fine. I have lots of cars I would love that are not a 2005 Ford Focus wagon. Trust me. But it's mine, and it's paid for, and it's been that way for a long time. I'm content with it. Every time I get in, there's a new noise, a new rumbling, a new whatever. Whatevs. Like God's provided so far, he'll keep fixing it. I'm not going to stress about it. It's mine till I can't fix it anymore, and I really want to give it to one of my kids one day. That's my dream. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. I'll teach him about contentment. Do I have cars that I would rather have? You bet I do. And one day, I'll probably have one. But until then, okay. Other houses I see online or on Zillow, sometimes I like to just go and shop. My wife's like, why do you do this? I'm like, because I like to. I like to look at what's out there maybe. Sometimes I like to talk about it and dream about it. If I get it, fantastic. If I don't, guess what? Okay. I like to go on vacation. We're trying to plan some vacations this year. And we're looking, can we afford this? Can we afford that? I'd like to go. If we get to, great. We've gone a year or two sometimes without going on a vacation. We took our kids. We went hiking. We took a week off. Just we're together as a family. I'm good if we do. I'm good if we don't because I've learned in all situations to be content, which is why Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We tend to think of it as like a loss. <laughs> I'm not getting any more. No, 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 you're fine because it doesn't matter if you have more, you're good. He goes on, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have actually gone so far as to pierce themselves with many griefs. Sometimes chasing after something doesn't give you what you thought it would give you. My last pastor used to say, you know, the problem is you got what you wanted, but then what you wanted got you. I'll preach right there. So the problem isn't do you have enough? The problem is in your heart, are you content with what you do have? I literally sat down as I was writing the outline for this and, and on my iPad, I drew this graph and I sent it to him and um, they, they pretty much copied my graph. It's a terrible, terrible graph. And for those of you who are non-graph people like me, uh, let me try to walk you through this. But th- this is just to help you understand what we're talking about here. So, This is time over here, and this is money over here. Now, typically, I realize there are exceptions to the rule. Some of you make an an hourly wage. You only get more money over time if the minimum wage or whatever it is goes up. But most of you in the room, this will be your story. So, you know, at 10 years old, you pretty much have, like, no money. You have only what your parents give you, your grandparents give you. It's a birthday, it's whatever, it's Christmas, it's maybe a chore around the house. But as you get older, see, I got married at 22 years old. I turned 23 on my honeymoon. And on my honeymoon, I had no money. My very first job, I made $500 a month in the ministry, and they paid for our apartment. They didn't count any utilities or electric or phone or gas, anything, um, that was it. And so my wife, she went and got a job. I think, I think if I remember now, I think it was part-time as, as a childcare worker. And so the two of us together at 22, 23 years old made practically no money at all. But what happened over time is we got promoted. We worked hard. She ended up becoming a preschool director. I ended up becoming the, the student ministry lead and then the campus pastor. And then one day I got demoted to lead pastor of a church. And um, <laughs> now here I am at 29 and um, I make more I just lied at church. Uh, And I make more today than I did when I started, by God's grace. Thank you for your generosity. And that's typically the way it goes. But let me just tell you this. Here's what I don't have. I don't have any more happiness over here than I had down here. Now, my wife and I have hammered out a lot of things since that first year of marriage. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm no happier today. My life is just as stressed with three little kids running around. So it wasn't like more money changed my happiness, but that's the lie we all believe. If I just had more, we don't need more. We need more contentment, more satisfaction in what I currently have, more attitude of thanksgiving. Father, thank you for every good and perfect gift you've given me. It's mine. I don't have what somebody else has. Maybe I can't handle it. Maybe I wouldn't know how to manage it, even though I'd like to try, Father. Thank you for loving me enough for giving me what I have. God, thank you for meeting all my needs. And whatever that thing is. (laughs) Now, I'm almost done. But Paul goes on and he says this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. See, the problem for most of us is we think more will solve our problems. So they're putting their hope in wealth. And he goes on to warn, this is so uncertain. Uh, Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what reason? 
Come on now, you gotta get this. He gives us everything for what reason? You don't know because it's not up there. (laughs) We're having source problems. There you go. For our enjoyment. Did you know that your heavenly father is good? Even if there's funky things going on on the screen right now. Your heavenly father is good, is he not? And he is faithful to you, is he not? And he will bless you, won't he? You're like, then why don't I feel blessed? It's because you're wanting what you don't have. James goes on in the book of James, he says, you want what you don't have. So you steal, you kill, you destroy, you covet in order to get it. But what would happen if we would just say, God, it doesn't matter if I just have a little bit or if I have a lot. Thank you, God, for all that I have. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Thank you, God, for providing for me. Thank you, God, for giving me all that you've given me. And it's okay to lay out requests. Father, would you help me in this area? God, I'd like to do these things. Here's the reasons why. But God, no matter what, I'm gonna be happy with what you've given me. And contentment will lead to margin in your finances. Lack of contentment will mean you just keep spending. And he goes on. He says this. I don't know if it's gonna be up there or not, so I'll just read it to you. It's in First Timothy chapter six. I think it's verse 18 at this point. If you wanted to open your Bible, it's okay. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. That last, very last part in verse 19 of 1 Timothy chapter six is so important because what he's trying to get to is this idea that Jesus said. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus literally said, I have come to give you, you, every single person sitting here, I have come to give you life, life that is really, actually, in all its ways, life. And then Paul builds on that and he says, you know, part of the way you get that life is you leave margin in your life. You have contentment with all that God has given you so that when God moves and says, hey, I want you to be generous here. I want you to do this. I want you to help. I want you to spend more. You can actually move with the spirit and that is what brings you life. Moving with the spirit in everyday life brings you life. But if your life feels stressed out, overwhelmed, if you are literally pressed to the max, it doesn't matter how much air you put in here, you can feel squeezed all the time if you are not connected to the spirit. And then you could pierce yourself with grief. And I don't want that for you. I want you to feel the freedom of margin. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. This message is going to land in a lot, a lot, a lot of different places. Some of you who are truthers in the room are going, see, I told you, honey, we've got to find out where our money's going. We've got to do it different. Some of you gracers in the room are thinking, see, I told you you were a tightwad in loving way I could. And the truth is, it's what? Both. So here's what you need to do. Uh, I'm gonna start a prayer for communion time and I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna leave you. I'm not gonna say amen. I'm just gonna walk off stage and I'm gonna have you go into communion time and you're just gonna talk to your heavenly father. Here's my encouragement for you today. You ready? So if you're a grace person and you are married to a grace person, what I want you to do is to go to your spouse later and say nothing about them. Okay? You're only going to look at them and say, honey, God has convicted me that we need to know where our money's going. So for the next 30 days, for the next 30 days, we're just going to watch 
Let's just see. We don't have to make any changes. We're just going to see where our money is spent. We're going to figure out what it is, how much Starbucks or restaurants eating out or vacations or whatever cars are, just what exactly we're spending our money on so we can at least know that, because Matt said if we know, it'll set us free. I feel like we should do this. And even if you don't want to, I'm going to track it. There's no statement of judgment. There's no condemnation. You're going to invite them in. Would you, would you be willing to do this with me? And then at the end of 30 days, we're just going to look. We'll just look at our money and see if there's anything God tells us we need to change. Now, let's say that you are two truthers. You're going to literally spend this time seeking God, and you're going to go to your spouse later today, and you're going to say, honey, God has really convicted me that we do a really good job of saving, and we do a really good job of, of managing it well, but the reality is we could do more around the world to help single parents, to help kids in orphanages, to help our church in the corner of 10th of Dan Jones, we could do more. The reality is I feel like our kids feel the weight of our stuffiness at times and, and I want our kids to know that they're special to us. I'm gonna be praying about how we're going to become more filled with grace. But here's the hard one, right? Because if you see it the same way, grace or truth, it's a little easier to have the conversation. But if you are opposite you are not gonna go to them and point a finger. You're not gonna say, I sure hope you're listening today. You're gonna go to your spouse and you're simply gonna look at them and you're gonna say this. If you're on the truth side, you're gonna say, honey, here's how God has convicted me. And if you're on the grace side, you're just gonna say, honey, here's how God has convicted me. Maybe, just maybe, Matt's right. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, we need to see where it's all going. Would you pray for me? And you're gonna share with your spouse your conviction. Not, not your conviction for them, your conviction for you. And then by God's grace, he's gonna bring you together on the same page. How do I know? Because we're gonna ask him to right now. Now, if you're single in the room, the same is true. If you're a grace person, the problem is you don't have the other person to sharpen you, so you've gotta ask the Holy Spirit, God, help me to be more truthful. If you're a truth person, you're single, you have gotta ask God to help you be more gracious. And so we're just gonna do that right now, all of us together. Let's pray, and then I'll hand it to you, and you keep talking to your father while they serve you communion. A Father in heaven. God, uh, our lives, our budgets can only handle so much. There's only so much we can squeeze in and put into this thing. And Father, we are tempted at every turn because we're afraid we're missing out to keep trying to stuff in more, 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 more. So God, I just pray that you would uh, help us in this room. For those who tend to lean on the truth side, they feel very accountable and responsible God, I pray that you would help them to loosen up and be more gracious and loving and merciful, God, kind and generous, finding that balance. Balance them through their friends. Balance them through their spouse, God. May this message convict them to let go of the reins and to trust you. You are God of all things. God, I pray for those in this room who struggle. They lean towards grace so much so, Father, that they're constantly spending, 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 or giving, 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 and consequently, there's no, there's no truth behind it. There's no, there's no budget. There's no boundaries. There's nothing in them that, Lord, that would tell them that there, there's a space. So, Father, I pray that you would convict them, something very, very clear they can do. And, God, give all of us the right words as we go to those we love and share openly about the things that moved in us and things that need to change. God, please help us not to just hear a message that it's one ear out the other, but to live differently, that we might experience the life that is truly life. Thank you for being a good God. In Jesus' name.